five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. And in today's episode, on the 8th of March, we are celebrating International Women's Day, a day dedicated to honour the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women around the world. Today I highlight and celebrate the strength and tenacity of my vivacious guest, kidney health advocate, Roxy. Roxy is from Cheshire, England and joins me today to share her inspirational story of returning back to dialysis after the failure of her kidney transplant. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Roxy? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Um, I always, always love doing Kidney Warrior stories um, and talking to people about their Kidney Warrior experiences because, you know, there's an expression that says, who feels it knows it. So who better to share advice and who better to give a realistic picture of what it's like to have kidney disease than somebody who's actually going through it so um you know welcome today and I know that um you have more than one chronic illness and we will be talking about your other chronic illness in another podcast but today we're focusing on your kidney warrior story and so I'm going to start with my first question and this is how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Um, I was in hospital with my other chronic condition. Um, basically, they put me on a medication and I wasn't taken to it very well. So they made me do a 24-hour urine test. And the results of that showed that there was blood and protein in there. So they said, oh, we're going to ship you off to another hospital where they'll do a kidney biopsy. So I had my first biopsy. At this point, I was 18. So it was very scary, as you can imagine, walking into a renal ward and there's big machines. And I mean, they weren't like the nice, dainty, Fresenius machines that they've got now. These were still rocking the really old school, clunky, horrible machines. And I was just crying. Don't want to go on one of them machines to my dad. And my dad was like, look, you're already here for a biopsy. And I'm just thinking the worst at this point. Anyway, so I had the biopsy and it showed that I had inflammation of my kidneys. So at that point, they said they would start me on cyclophosphamide. But I did what most young people probably go home and do and Google cyclophosphamide and everything else. And Google is the worst thing you can do when you get diagnosed with anything. Yes, it is. You know? <laughs> it really, <laughs> so, really is. So I, was like, I don't want cyclophosphamide. I'm not having it. Oh, but yeah, we'll fall out. Oh, 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 this, that, and the other. So 
the doctor was like, okay, or well, you can have the mycophenolate. I'll go with that. Go with that. Two tablets a day or whatever. So I started on that. But within a couple of weeks, I started to uh, retain fluid. I wasn't passing as much urine. And by the end of about probably four weeks, I looked like the Michelin man. Remember the, the tire guy, you know? I puffed up that much with fluid. You couldn't even recognize me. Oh, and my mum was like, I think we need to take you back to the hospital. <laughs> so we jumped in the car. We ringed them and said, look, we're coming down to the ward. I, I'm not doing well. I walked in. The renal doctor that was on at the time took one look at me and went, you're getting a line. You're starting hemodialysis tonight. I was like, what? So, yeah, exactly. But he is very, you know, to the point, if you're going to die in a week, he's telling you you're dying. He's that type of doctor. So at that point, I burst out crying. Dad, you said I wouldn't end up on one of them machines. Oh, no, blah, blah, blah. So I had a neckline put in um, and, yeah, started dialysis straight away pretty much. The same night, I remember, it was the same night because my dad and mum were still there. Another doctor come round and, and said, you know, she's going to need a transplant. Do you want to give her one sort of thing to my dad? You'll probably be her best match. So my dad was like, look, I'll do anything for my daughter. Oh. You know, um, you know, your dads are like soft, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, dad started testing then. But because of my other condition that wasn't like under control enough for me to get a kidney. So I did stay on dialysis for six years before I got my first transplant. But I mean, I had some right ups and downs in, in between that. And I did peritoneal dialysis as well um, because I wanted to be at home. But then I had a lot of a, a caught peritonitis, which is so painful. Oh, it's probably one of the worst pains I've ever felt. Um, and then another time I had to go back onto hemodialysis because I'd had issues with my, my tube from my peritoneal dialysis. And then when I got skin cancer, it was near the tube. So by the time I'd got that, they were like, look, we're going to have to take the tube out and you can't have another one back in because of scarring. So I was like, okay. So at that point I had a permanent fistula done then. And that was it, home dialysis on hemodialysis from that point on. So, yeah, it's, it's been mad. It's been a mad journey. Wow, that is, wow, that is such a lot to take in, like so suddenly to be told that you have to go on to dialysis straight away. Yeah. I mean, how, how did you feel? I mean, that must have been like so scary, like, you know yeah, I mean, that, like what what happened then well because I was 18 you know it's a time when you should be going on girls holidays you should be out partying but I just felt like everything had come at once so it was like all of a sudden diagnosed with one thing then diagnosed with another thing and then you think oh they're going to give you this medicine and your kidneys are going to be fine you don't you don't think at 18 oh I'm going to lose my kidneys so it was like you didn't even have time to to process it properly and I think with me, I'm more of the cups half full than the cups half empty. So I tried to take positives from it. Like, well, it's okay. I can do this, you know, every night I'll be fine. I can still see my boyfriend at the time and whatever else. But then 
after I think a couple of months of it, I think it hit me then. And I sort of just broke down into tears one one day with my dad and, and my mum in the hospital. I was just like, I'm fed up. You know, I'm being poked and prodded all the time. If it's not one thing, it's something else. And I just want to be a normal teenager again. So it, it got to that point where it was a lot. But then I was like, no, right, shake it off. You've had your cry now. Let's just get on with it. But it, it was very scary. But I suppose it made me grow up quicker as well because I thought I've really got to take this seriously. And then because of my chronic condition, not a lot of doctors deal with it at the level that I'm at. It was like, right, I need to learn as much about this as I can so I can educate doctors. So when I go into hospital, I can say, look, I don't think I can have that medication because I think that can counteract and set me off. Or I don't think you should be giving me, do you know what I mean? And, and, and it was like that. And do you know what? It's really worked because over the years, like GPs especially, have gone to give me things and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That will just set me off and make me really bad. And then they'll look it up and like, oh, yeah, you can't have that. No, I can't. So, it, yeah. You've really got to keep yourself in the game. <laughs> yeah, because I, I have a firm belief that um, you have to be your own health manager and yeah. really ask a lot of questions and follow up on things if you're meant to have a, an appointment yeah. and you don't see it within a certain time chase it up if you're yeah. meant to have a letter or whatever the case may be follow things up because yeah. things can slip through the net and it's quite um, scary to hear actually that you're having to say in terms of your medication <laughs> yeah. but it, it's good that you've got that knowledge to be able yeah. to say actually that won't help I mean that's quite scary because for people who don't have that knowledge, they could exactly. actually suffer quite severe consequences. Yeah. So, I mean, my renal doctor now, he'll laugh and he'll be like, oh, it's Dr. Roxy, is it? <laughs> because I'll say, <laughs> I'll say, well, I'll walk in and I'll be like, because no one knows your body like yourself. You know your body, don't you? It's something's yeah. not right. And I'll walk into his clinic and I'll say, right, I've had this here in this side of my lung and it's really hurting. I think it's pleurisy. I need 20 milligrams of prednisolone for a week and he'll go, He'll just look at me and go, okay, Dr. Rox, and start, <laughs> start writing notes down. But half the time I'm right, and he just laughs at me. It's funny. But I've got a good good relationship with my with a lot of my consultants now, which is good. Yeah. It took a long time, though. So rewinding slightly, so you mentioned about having skin cancer. Yeah. So on top of your diagnosis of kidney disease, you then have another um, serious illness to deal with as well I mean how did how did you wrap your mind around that um you know what it was dead right you never so I had a lump on my side of my stomach and I kept feeling it but it felt like like a cyst you know it because it, like mm. when you squidged it it was squidgy and movable so at first I thought nothing of it but it was getting bigger and I thought oh this is a cyst this needs taking out and popping or whatever so I went to the GP and they referred me to the dermatologist team to have a sample of it taken out or whatever. And I got there and they went, oh, we're not taking that off. And I looked at him, well, what? He says, oh, it's cosmetical, right? I don't need this, just a little spot that will go on its own. And I was like, look, I've got lupus. If you do not remove this, it, the cells in it can change and they can turn to something nasty. I want it removing. Oh, well, OK. Oh, she was horrible. So she she took this one out and then 
three weeks later, I get a letter for the Christie Hospital, which is a local cancer hospital. And I ring my dad, so I've got a letter here for the Christie. Says, what, what did you need to go there for? I says, I've got no idea. Dad, I got cancer. Like, so I start panicking. Anyway, so my dad says, right, I'll have the day off work. I'll take you. So we go to this appointment. And we go in this room and this lovely doctor, he's, I think he's like Maltese or something. He's just lovely. And he goes, okay, so do you know why you're here? I was like, no. He says, you've got squamous carcinoma. I went, in English, mate. <laughs> and he says, it's a type of skin cancer that's very rare in young people. And it's very rare in people of skin of colour. And I was like, right, so I've got it. And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right. And he said, did you not know because you had a sample taken um from Leighton and I said no they didn't tell me and he said oh well yeah that's what it was and I was just disgusted that they'd not even had the decency to ring me and say you know the sample we took was that so after a few more scans and things it turned out I had four lumps internally on like the stomach wall and they were all cancerous, so I had to have them straight removed. Like, I was in for surgery literally that week. Um, but they never they never had to do anything else after. I didn't have to have chemo or anything because they got it all out, luckily. But that was just mental. So now I go back every three months and they just check because apparently with that type of skin cancer, if it gets into your lymph nodes, it can be quite dangerous. So I go back and have checks and stuff. So touch wood everything's been all right for that since that is just like my I don't even know what to say that is just mind-blowing and you know I really um you've got such a positive attitude you're so upbeat like you've clearly been through so much in terms of and we're going to talk more about your journey but just the little that I've heard so far you've been through so much and yet you've got such a positive upbeat um, upbeat mindset and I, I just really commend you like you're I think you have you're a warrior. To. <laughs> you really are a warrior I, I think you've got to I think if you get diagnosed with something like kidney failure anything any type of diagnosis especially when people mention cancers and things a lot of people think the world's over that's it hmm. but just because you've been diagnosed with something it does not mean your life has to stop you just live to your limitations what you can do and enjoy it you know life is too short and I always think there are people worse off there are children in children wards you know that haven't even had a life that Mm. what hand has God given them it's just so sad so I just think you know what I've got a roof over my head I've got a family that love me I've got a boyfriend that puts up with me God knows how but he does and life goes on so enjoy it I know my limitations I know I can't go out clubbing till three in the morning but I can surely sit at home and have a giggle with my friends or what have you because we're not going to pubs at the minute are we (laughs) but you know (laughs) I, I can just I enjoy my life the way I can and I just I say to anybody if you get diagnosed with something don't think that it's the end of anything just know you can do you your way that's my way no that's a, that's really good advice because um you know it's so easy to focus on the can'ts and yeah you know the things you can't do and the thing the places you can't go and this that as well especially now during yeah. COVID, where, 
we can't go anywhere kind of thing um <laughs> you know it's very easy to be stuck and focused on the can'ts but as you said when you focus on what you can do within your own limits yeah it's a much better place and mindset to have because yeah. You know, when you're thinking of what you're able to do, it's like, oh, yeah, I can do this and I can do yeah. this and I can do this. And it just opens up so much more in terms of how you feel and your mindset and exactly. just the way that you see the world around you. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's really, really powerful. It really is. Yeah. So you were on dialysis and you talked about your journey with skin cancer as well. So you went on to have a transplant. Yeah. After six years of the dialysis, um, they decided I was finally ready to have the transplant from my dad. Right. So we we were booked in with Manchester and when we went through all the tests and everything and you have to go for the counselling where they make sure that you're not paying somebody to give it you and everything like that. It's really strange. It's like, well, it's my dad, you know, I haven't got a penny to my name. Never mind to pay my dad off. But OK. So did all that and then we got booked in, finally got the date and it was like, right, this is really happening. So on the day of the transplant, they take my dad down first. So he was wheeled down and I was waiting for a couple of hours. And then in the end, they wheeled me down. And the porter says, if you look through there, you'll see your dad. And I was like, what? So we got into the anaesthetic room and obviously the operating theatre, we go into the same operating theatre and I looked up and I could see my dad just lying there like they, they hadn't woken him up yet. And then he says, that's your kidney then. And it's the bag that says organ on it, you know, organ transplant or whatever. And he's like, that's your kidney. And I was like, oh, my God. So it was like, this is so real. So anyway, I went in, had the transplant and they woke me up. And um, the woman in resuscitation says, oh, you're not like your dad, are you? I says, what do you mean? She says, well, when we tried to wake you up, you said, no, let me sleep. <laughs> Well, we want your dad up, he says, am I all right? Oh, bless. <laughs> that was quite funny. So the ward that we were on, they had the women on one side and men on the other, but there's like the nurse's desk, you know, in between. So it's like an open ward, but separate. So three days into the transplant, because they get you up out of bed the next day and everything to make sure your lung function's okay. So you don't want you lying flat. And then they do what they call is it a T-scan and they just check the flow of the kidney. But my kidney was sleeping. I had a sleeping kidney, which is really uncommon when you have a, a, a live donor kidney. Usually they're awake straight away. But I was like, oh, it's a man's kidney. Of course, it's blooming asleep, you know. <laughs> Come for me, dad. It's lazy. <laughs> so it wasn't working. Anyway, the woman next to me, she was lovely. We really got on really well. She'd had a transplant about four days before me. It was an anonymous transplant. Um, so we were sort of going through it together, you know, and it was nice. Anyway, the third day, we could hear this. What's that? And it's my dad dancing into our side of the ward, you know, with his gown, with his friends and everything. I says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going home. I says, what, three days? He says, as long as I can poop and I'm drinking, I can go home. And I was like, wow. And I just wow. couldn't believe, you know, how just goes to show how resilient the human body actually is absolutely yeah so my dad went home and I stayed in for a further 10 days because I still still wasn't peeing or anything but then when I did start to obviously you have to start um, you have a catheter in so they're monitoring what's going in and what's coming out and you have to write down oh I've had a litre drinks today and then they're like no more 
But when you've gone from being told, don't drink any more than a litre, to drink, 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 it's so hard. Like, you think it'd be amazing. Like, the first thing I wanted to do was just neck a pint of pop. But I just didn't. Like, because I got that fed up of doing it, it was so hard. But then... um, then when they finally took my cafe out, my dad had come up to visit me and I stood up and he went, uh, rocks. And I looked down, he went, you've peed yourself. I was like, oh no, oh, no. I forgot now when I get the feeling I actually can pee. I've got to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and this nurse come in, she went, look, love, you won't be the last. It's definitely <laughs> not the first. I was like, I'm so sorry, I forgot. Oh, wow. So, because then you had to pee in a jug then, you see, and and measure your output that way. But, yeah, I just did it over the floor, as you do. So, yeah, then after about, I think I come home about 15 days after. um, I did do a few stints back into him. Um, We could never really get my creatinine right down. under. We could never get it under 300. It was always creeping up. And the doctor said it could be because it came from my dad, who's a man, so they have a higher creatinine anyway. And because right. my dad had quite, a, he's got quite an athletic build. And um, with being um, black, that sometimes can give you a higher creatinine as well. Yeah. Uh, just because we're bigger muscle mass, I suppose, or something like that. That's what he said anyway. I don't know if he was, you know, making things up, but. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we could never get it down. But I did all right for two years. Um, you know, I managed to go on holiday without dialysis and things like that. So I did okay, eating what I wanted. But then two years in, I just started to lose weight rapidly. Uh, I mean, mum says, you don't look right. You know, I was going skinny in the face and I'm a chubby face girl. So it was just odd. And I was like, no, I don't feel myself. My, my appetite's a bit off. Um, so I went to the hospital, had my bloods done. And they rang me and says, oh, you need to come in. Your creatinine's through the roof. Your urea's through the roof, blah, blah, blah. So I went in. They did a biopsy of the transplanted kidney. And they said, it's rejecting. I was like, what? So I just burst into tears. Oh, no. I was like, what can you do? You've got to save it. I'm not going back on dialysis. So they did what's called antibody removals to try and get the antibodies, you know, of the kidney down. But every time they do it, it'll just shoot back up again so it wasn't working so yeah it was back onto dialysis but this time I couldn't have a line in my neck because they'd just gone too small or whatever um so I had one in my groin and I had that for 18 months back on dialysis yeah so that was a bummer it really was so it must have been devastating to hear that the kidney had been rejected and that you had to go back onto dialysis. So yeah. how did you like come to terms with that? How did you get your mind around that? Around that? Well, I just realised I didn't really have much choice, you know. It was dialysis or nothing. So sort of had to pick myself up. I just felt bad on my dad that he'd gone through all that and, you know, but he said, if I had to do it all over again, I would. He said, you've had a good two years, so look at it that way. And I was just like, do you know what? He's right, I have. Yes. Uh, I've had a good two years, so back to dialysis we go. <laughs> so how long have you been on dialysis since uh, you lost that kidney? I've been back on s- seven years now. Seven long years. <laughs> so I um I saw a video that you shared 
on Instagram. Yeah. I must admit, I was looking through through the gaps in my fingers <laughs> uh, where you were sharing um, how you connect yourself to your dialysis line. Yeah. And um, that was, um, I must say, very, very graphic. At the same time, I appreciate the fact that you were brave enough and kind enough to share what you do yeah. and to let people know what you as a dialysis patient have to do but yeah. also you know showing people the highs and lows showing people in such a I can't express enough the way that you you shared was in such a light-hearted um you know this is what I do you just explained everything you broke everything down but you did it in such an upbeat and positive way I, it just <laughs> blew me away I just have to say like to be so positive and so and I don't I, th- I think glass half full person doesn't quite do you justice because I think you take, <laughs> it, more, you take it a step beyond that and Thank I just want to commend you and being brave enough as I said because I, I do think it it is so brave to share your life and difficult situations on um, whichever social media platform it is I mean yeah. it's easy to put a filter on or you know put loads of makeup on and hair extensions and all the rest of it and you know, look at me, I'm pretty, yeah. this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. But to share something so personal, something that is so challenging and difficult, I really do commend how brave you are. And so I just want to ask, what made you decide to do that? I just think when I was going on dialysis and got my diagnosis and everything, there was no social media really. So there was no platforms out there for you to reach out to someone and think, hey, you're a bit like me, you know, can I ask you a question or anything? So I just think I'm a really approachable person. I like to think I am anyway. And I just think, yeah, I just think if there is someone young out there, they might connect and think, wow, she's young. She's doing it. Let me ask her a question. Or I wonder if this happens to her, you know, the silly little things like, like things like, I never realised like your periods could stop when you have renal failure. I didn't realise that. It was just a normal, natural thing. And I just think if I can just be out there and say, yep, this can happen. Yep, you can get headaches. Yep, you can feel like you've been on a night out or whatever. And just be honest about it and show the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and just be truthful rather than a nurse that's never been through it sitting there telling you oh it'll be all right oh it's not too bad no no don't sit there Karen and tell me it's going to be okay mm-hmm. when when you've never been through it you don't know what it's like you don't have needles stuck in your arm every week or a doctor poking you in places and a male doctor having to check you over so don't tell me Karen I'll tell you <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like that so I just wanted to just show it really and I just thought you know what I use my social media platform for other things, but I'm going to throw a bit of my health journey in there so people can understand. And also, my main thing is people can see not all disabilities are visible. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I can park up in town in a, in a you know blue badge spot, disabled spot, and I will get looks. And I just, I'm like, mate, you can't see what's going on inside my body. Exactly. I could get out of this car now and walk. 100 yards not even that and I am knackered or my legs were going I'll need my crutches you know or I'll be fine 
go around and do the shopping with my partner. And by the time I've finished, I'm, I'm done. And then go home and sleep for the rest of the day. And these people don't see that. They yeah. think unless unless you look physically disabled, then you're fine. And it, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And it's an excellent point. Um, people, unless they see, well, usually they expect to see a wheelchair or, yeah. you know, some, some kind of walking aid, shall we say, whether it's yeah. a walking stick or a frame or whatever it might be. But unless they see a limb missing or a chair or a walking aid, they're like, oh, well, you're not disabled and you, yeah. you get these looks and stereotypes and all the rest yeah. of it. And I was having a, a conversation with another kidney warrior who he was going to use a disabled toilet and the staff member challenged him and wow. said to him, you know, you don't know what's going on with me. Yeah. You know, my disability is invisible, but that does not mean I'm I'm not you know exactly. that I'm not disabled and yeah. he kind of pulled his shirt open and and the guy the member of staff kind of mouth fell open and he looked, <laughs> he looked so um you know ashamed of himself because yeah. he, he could see the line you know the tube yeah you know in his chest and it's like you know don't make that assumption and yeah. I think you know that message really does need to be drilled home to people not every disability is visible yeah so yeah definitely so important to put that out there it is so you've touched on um some advice earlier but I'm gonna ask you again if like for some more because you know I'm really greedy and I just like to (laughs) get loads more advice out there so for somebody that's just been diagnosed with kidney disease somebody early on in their journey what advice would you give to them don't Google. I know I said it before, but do not Google. If you Google, you're going to think you're going to be dead within a day. Oh, don't, don't do it. Please don't Google. And don't, uh, do you know, so this, this one is a new one that, that, well, it's not really new that I've come across, but I'm noticing it more. If you are on social media and you join, say, a kidney forum, there's ones on Facebooks and stuff. There's like the renal patient advice one on Facebook or whatever. Don't go on there asking questions all the time because they're not doctors. A lot of the people on there like to think they're doctors, but they're not. And then you get, I don't even know if this is a right way to say this, but I'm going to say it. You get these voodoo scammers that come up and they're like, Dr. Hirachi fixed me within a week. Just drink this tea. It's $100 per pack. No, no. Stop trying to scam people off their weaknesses. So don't fall for none of that either. Yeah. No, I'm I'm sorry to laugh. But the reason why I'm laughing is I get that all the time pop up on my um on my page and I have to yeah. delete them off. Oh that's somebody soon as soon as they see the hashtag kidney disease, yeah, or whichever hashtag it is that they follow. I'm making assumptions here, but whichever hashtag that they're following, yeah, I've seen it time and time again. And as you said, this doctor blah 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 um, yeah. cured me of blah blah blah. And, and you know, we I laugh about it um because I'm not in that vulnerable place to believe it, but there's people who there's are people there's people that, people yeah. that are desperate to find help and yeah. desperate to find a cure. And these scammers, as you rightly said, come on, come along, promising the earth 
mm. you know, con people out of their money. And it is disgusting. It's sad. It's so sad. And so don't fall for none of that. Um, it, talk to people. That is the, the big, big advice. Talk to your family. Let them understand what's going on in your body. Don't think, oh, I don't want to don't want to tell them they've got enough going on. You know, if you don't tell people how you're really feeling or how to be around you or whatever, then people won't know how you're feeling. True. My my auntie knows if I'm in, in a bad mood because I go up and down, you know, um, especially with being on the steroids. My moods can flip. So if I'm in one of my moods where I just can't be bothered with anyone, she's like, oh, she's in one of the moods. I'll ring you tomorrow <laughs> and puts the phone down. She knows. She knows now. And it's like, it's, it's a laughing joke now because I have told people now I'm not being nasty. If I'm a bit aggressive to you or whatever, I'm just in one of my moods. And they know. So if you don't tell people, they're not going to know. Um. Another bit of advice. Like I said before, just try and stay positive. Think of the cans, not the can'ts. You know, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. So do things that make you mentally happy. If you've got social media and there's a friend on there that's always, oh, it's raining. Oh, I can't do this. Delete them because they are bringing nothing to your mental health. Just <laughs> Bit them off, gone, shoo, in the bin. You know, do things that make you mentally happy. If shopping on instant on eBay makes you happy, do it. If you know, it's going for a within nice reason, walk, guys, within reason. Yeah, within reason. <laughs> Don't get yourself in debt and then come and blame me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, go for nice walks if if you can, or if there's a place local to you that you like to go and just sit and just you know take it in or or whatever clear your mind if you like doing crosswords do them but always always have that time for you I'll, I'll go for a nice bath have a nice bath bomb in there bit of music on you know and just just relax for 10-15 minutes and that's me I'm, I'm cool then after that I'll come out and eat because <laughs> <laughs> boy I love to eat <laughs> but yeah that, and that's another thing when you get renal disease the renal diet is one of the most unhealthiest diets going and, and your dietitian will tell you that because you can't eat. You got to watch your potatoes. You got to watch your crisps, your chocolate, your drinks. And there's, there's something about everything. So you might think, oh, I'll have a brown bread sandwich because that's healthier. No, brown bread actually has more phosphate in it. And you don't think of that. So then it's like, oh, we'll have to have white bread. Okay. What am I going to have on it? Cheese. Oh, no, that's too much phosphate. So you've got to do things within reason. So, you know, balance it out. But try and try and keep your diet as healthy as you can. But obviously looking after yourself. So it, it does take a bit of jigging to get your diet right. That's one thing I will say. But once you've got it, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good advice. Thank you. While you were um, um, talking, you touched on steroids because steroids... Everybody knows about steroids and um, mm. how how wonderful they are. They that you 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 need them, huh. but they're kind of what's the best way to put it? They really? leave their mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So let's talk about um, steroids. And when I say disclaimer, when I'm talking about steroids, I'm talking about the ones given to you by a doctor, not the ones that you use <laughs> to get muscles. We're not talking about that. Um, so yes, steroids. Mm. How have okay. they been for you? What have been the highs and lows of steroid treatment for you? Okay, steroids for me, I've been on them now 13 years. If I run out of my steroids and don't have them for two days, I know about it. My lupus starts flaring up my joints, so I get really painful joints. But the downside to my steroids is the appetite. Like You've got to learn that you're not really hungry but your steroids are telling you you're hungry and you just want to eat rubbish, basically. Yeah. So that's a downside. So I've had to learn to balance that. And then the other downside is because I've already got renal bone disease from like the years of dialysis, my steroids have made my bones thinning. Um, so I've got thin bones now because we have a bone density scan. So I had osteoporosis anyway, but now I have onset scoliosis in my back. And this oh, is all from steroid juice. So my back has a curve in it. You can see it when I'm stood up. And I, I never thought anything of it before. I just thought it was the shape of my body. But um, just the middle of lockdown, last lockdown, I went to have a scan on it and she showed it me. And, and at the bottom of my back, it's the, the, the little, you know, the little square bits in your spine. They're starting to compress. And it's all because of my steroids. Because it's made me that weak. It's just started to do it. So, yeah, it's man mental. But then I couldn't be without my steroids. So, and then oh, the other thing with my steroids, like I say, is my moods. They really do give me mood swings up and down, up and down. Um, roid rage, is that what they call it? <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah. I've, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. I like that, roid rage. Roid rage, it really is. Um, but, yeah. So that's the bad side to them. But then if your doctor says you need them, you need them. And moon face. If you're on a high dose, yep. get the moon face. And like I said, I've got a chubby face. So when I've got moon face, it just it's ridiculous. Yeah, I totally understand about moon face. I mean, with me, it was like uh, when they put me on the steroids, I was on a very high dose um, for a yeah. while. And then gradually, you know, they, you know, they take it yeah. down and I'm still on them, but a very low dose. But when I was on the higher dose, it was like everyone, everyone told me at the beginning, oh, they'll make you gain weight, this, that, and the other. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, was, <laughs> and, I, and, I was, and I was fine, I was fine, I was fine, I was fine, I was fine. And I'm not exaggerating. I literally woke up in the morning and my face was the size of the moon. And it was like something like a Laurel and Hardy movie where, it, <laughs> you know, you do that double take. Yeah, yeah. And I was like... <gasps> I look like a chipmunk. <laughs> I just was like, that's what I kept saying. Like, and I was in floods of tears. And I was like, oh. Mufasa, oh my goodness, like this. And it is just that whole having to come to terms with the fact that, as you said, on one hand, it's causing these side effects, which are yeah. not, um, which for me included insomnia. And, yeah. totally, um, you know, you're just lying there, honestly. Honestly, honestly, you just can't. And also the moon phase and all the other thing and the hunger. Oh my goodness! Yeah, geez. yeah. All the different things that you have to deal with on the negative side when it comes to steroids. But then, as you said, it's like, but you need them. Yeah. And without them, 
you know where would you be would you even be alive you just don't know so it's like it's 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 that nasty horrible cousin that you have to invite to your birthday yes yes that's the one despite (laughs) despite not wanting them them there (laughs) but they have to be there because without them you wouldn't be able to have the party so it's it's one of those and um it's another thing that um you know when um I think it's helpful to let people know going in that these are the type of things that can happen because I think mm-hmm. unless you know that it's to do with your medication or to do with your condition, you internalize it like it's you. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, for example, if the steroids are causing mood swings, which they, they definitely can do. Yeah. Um, if you don't know that you might think it's you and then start yeah. to kind of feel really bad about yourself as a person and question and, yourself yeah, and feel like you're you're really bad and this that and the other and not, and not realizing that actually there's something physical going on that's yeah. what's causing you to feel this way so I think it's really important to put that information and that knowledge out there um, yeah. so people can understand actually I'm feeling up and down but actually it is a normal part mm. of this journey so um yeah thank you for sharing about that <laughs> so what are the best resources that have helped you across the way mm. oh I don't know I think it was just sort of doing my own research but not reading too much into anything right and so if something like for example if I was in hospital with something I'd question the doctors. I'd question, 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 question. Because I'd be like, look, I don't want it sugar-coated. I want to know the real reason. I want to know why it can happen. I want to know what your treatment is for it. And then question it and finding out stuff from them and then looking into what they're telling me sort of thing rather than just Googling it and reading mixed-matched information that didn't have nothing to do with me or anything. Um, But yeah, that was it really. And then like I say, there was a few... There wasn't much social media when I got diagnosed, but I mean, now there's more. Um, And with the machine I'm on, I'm on the next stage machine. They've got a little support group, but they're quite new over here. They're they're more big in America. Um, But uh, I do ambassador work for them. So we go to meetings with them. So that's quite nice because you meet other renal patients. So talking to other renal patients is the best thing, really. That's why I like said, I like your podcast because you can listen to everyone's experience, even though we're all going through the same type of thing, the same type of treatments, everyone's experience of it is different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So I think, I think just talking to other people can really help and questioning your doctors till you're blue in the face and they're just like, (laughs) get really annoyed with you. (laughs) You sound a lot like me. I ask a lot of questions. Yeah, you have to, you want to know what they're about to put in your body. I'm like, why are you about to jab that in me? Or when a nurse comes, if you're in the hospital and a nurse comes at 10 o'clock at night, all right, I'm just giving you this now. Whoa, 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 what is that? Why are you putting it in that vein? You know, and I'm not having no psycho nurse come killing me. Tell me what that is. <laughs> I watch too many killer documentaries, believe me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I just want to know everything. And then any drugs I'm on, if they start on any new drugs, I'll start reading the information leaflet back to front and then looking into it even more because I want to know, like you said before, you want to know the side effects that the drugs yes. are going to give you and things in, in case, because you just don't know. So, no, yeah. You don't. 
that that's what I do <laughs> fantastic what are common myths about kidney disease that you'd like to debunk mm. you know one of them when I when I was at the in the unit having dialysis and obviously I stopped peeing I don't pass urine now and I thought everyone was like that but that's not true some people do still pee when they're on dialysis and I didn't realize that I thought we all just stopped and that was it but some managed to maintain it which is which is a good thing because that's getting rid of more toxins yes um other myths oh let me think I can't think of any really that I've come across personally I'm sure there is many but I've not for people I tell you this is a myth People think once you get a transplant, you're cured. That's it. You're fine. No, that's not true. They don't realise the appointments. I mean, the first week when you get sent home from a transplant, you are back at that hospital every single day for blood tests. Every day. And then they might let you go down to eh, having one day off out the seven of the week, you know. Um, you know, so you've got all the blood tests, then the tablets, and then the maintaining of the tablets. And if you don't take them tablets... Your, your kidney will reject you know you'll have rejection so it's not a cure but it's better treatment shall we say than being on dialysis you've got a better quality of life so yeah that was it because when I first got my transplant everyone was like oh you're all right now no no I've still got to watch my foods and watch what I do and everything else so that was a myth um it's amazing how many people don't realize how well I didn't realize actually until i was in that situation how important your kidneys are yes you yes. know remember my nana used to say drink barley water it flush out your body and i'd be <laughs> like what is she on about here some jamaican old rhymes and stuff making up things to me but yeah apparently she was right i should have drank me, me barley water and flushed my body out. <laughs> might not be in this situation so yeah you don't realize how important they are and a lot of people don't realise you can live with just one kidney. So I think that's why there's not as many live donors unless you're in that situation where, say, your dad or your daughter or whoever needs a transplant. Yeah. You don't you don't realise that. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, I can't think of any myths. That's about it, really. No, thank you for the ones that you've mentioned. What question do you wish that I had asked you? I don't know I can't think of anything <laughs> you've, you've asked the main ones really yeah I can't think of anything I've got mind blank uh, relationships and kidney disease maybe okay so how has your kidney disease affected your relationships? When I first got diagnosed and I was with the, the guy I was with at that time, when you get kidney disease, you, you, you lose your sex drive. That's gone. So you have no sex drive. So I think that can affect a bit. I, I think they tried to make out it doesn't. But because at that time, remember, I was, I was still young. I was still in my early prime of 20s. Mm-hmm. So I think it did affect. So that, yeah, that was strange. But as I've got older and I'm with the guy I'm with now, he's just so supportive. That's the main thing, having someone who will be so supportive of you. I mean, I spoke to a woman not long ago and 
she got diagnosed with cancer and her partner left her because of it. And that just wow. made me feel sick inside. Like, you know, this poor woman sat there now going through treatment in a pandemic as well on her mm. own. And he's buggered off with someone younger just because she got diagnosed with cancer. And I, I wanted to cry for her because I just thought I couldn't imagine myself in that situation because my Nile now is so supportive. He understands when I'm high, when I'm low, when I'm, when I'm needy, when I wanted to bugger off, you know, he feeds me, he looks after me. And I just think everybody deserves that. Whether male, female, young, old, whatever, you deserve someone who understands your illness and understands your limitations as well. But I mean, my doctor keeps wanting me to go on nocturnal dialysis. And I'm like, no, I'm <laughs> such a passion killer. No, it's not happening. Hang <laughs> on, love. I just, we'll, we'll get jiggy, but I just need to move my arm because of my lines, you know. Not a chance. <laughs> oh, my dad's going to listen to this, isn't he? Oh, dear. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> but I, it's just not happening. But yeah, I can imagine for some people it, it can be difficult. But yeah, you, you, your sex drive's just not there. It's non-existent. And then obviously I'm in menopause as well at a very young age. So that doesn't help. But if you've got someone that's supportive, it's not an issue. It really isn't. Wow. So you mentioned about being in early menopause. Um, what caused that? Well, we, we, we think... It could be to do with the renal failure because my body's sort of like, well, we don't want to be producing eggs and things because you've got other things going on. We'll tackle that, you know, sort of sort of issue. Or it could be down to my lupus because it's known um, women with lupus can go into premature um, menopause. Uh, but there's no actual answer for it. So we just think it's one or one or the other. So, yeah. About three years ago, I just started with hot sweats. They were unexplainable. We thought at first it was my native kidneys, infections in them. So I had them removed, but still, still had the hot sweats. And, and when I say hot sweats, like it's freezing today outside, I've got my bedroom fan on. I'm hot. My poor partner's like, can we put the heating on? I'm freezing here. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they just come on all of a sudden. And I had to get one of those. Have you seen those cool mats for pets in the summer? Like a blue cool mat. I had to get one of them to put on my bed because I get that hot. It's ridiculous. Wow. It's mental. I never understood it when my auntie used to stand there going, oh, it's warm today. And I'm like, she all right? No, I'm with her now. <laughs> and, you know, and what you remember when you used to go to church when you were younger and you had the old black women with a fan. At the front? <laughs> That's me. That's me right there. <laughs> so yeah it's it's not fun but because of my lupus I've got uh, anti-floss lipid syndrome so my blood clots so I can't have anything hormone based so they can't put me on HRT oh like, wow exactly I'm like what can I do and the doctor's like there's not really a lot we can give you I'm like no 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 there's got to be something doc come on <laughs> no I'm not having that there's some drug out there give me anything and another doctor said there's a there's a an antidepressant that they can give at very very small doses that apparently can help but they were looking into it i've heard nothing back since so i'm guessing that was a no-go so yeah it's like um you ever watch sex in the city when they go to dubai 
and Samantha's <laughs> putting yams all over her face because that's what she's told will help her menopause. I'm getting ready to get the yam out, trust me. <laughs> Matching that yam and putting it straight on my face. If it helps, it helps. But yeah, it's no fun. Just don't click on that. I know Dr. Blah, blah, blah. No, if no, that no, pops no, up, that. Don't, don't, don't go there. <laughs> I'm not falling into that trap. Stick with the mat in the van. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I'm only joking. I don't mean to be flippant. I'm only joking. But yes, um, do you have a final word for our listeners? Um, stay positive. Um, my inbox is always open on Instagram if you use it, and it's at Roxy underscore honest reviews come and check me out and uh, like I say I'm always willing to talk to anybody but stay positive and you'll get there in the end you know everyone is fighting a battle whether it be kidney disease mental health period pains anything everyone is fighting their own battle so keep going thank you that is wonderful advice and can you say your Instagram handle one more time for the listeners yeah it's at Roxy R O X Y underscore honest reviews. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, sharing your story and so much um, advice, so much practical advice, and also being brave enough to share some very personal things with the listeners. And, um, you know, I commend you and I thank you for doing that because it definitely will be helping people who. You know, they're early on in the journey that might not feel that they can share these things with other people. But hearing your story may give them the confidence to speak out, ask questions, ask for help. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with me and the listeners today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. A special episode to celebrate World Kidney Day will be released on Thursday, the 11th of March. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love.